Good morning, everybody. Man, what a blessing for me to be here today. Uh, my name is Jason, if you missed the introduction to the very beginning, and uh, my roots are here. Uh, my roots, my grandfather was a minister uh, in Ottawa, Iowa for over 50 years. My, both my parents are from there. Uh, my other uh, grandpa and grandma are also from Ottawa, Iowa, and so uh, this is probably as close as you get, especially for me. I've traveled a lot in my life. I've been in lots of different cities and lots of different towns preaching and teaching, but honestly, this area of the country is as close to like home as anywhere is. Uh, it's funny, you share this video of Camp Naboa, and, and uh, it just brings a lot of emotions with it for me, because the truth is, you know, my grandfather, Everett, was one of the ones that helped kind of start that camp. Um, you know what's crazy is all of us have situations in life uh, that sometimes are out of our control. Are you with me? And with those situations, uh, we sometimes don't know how to fix them. Uh, my grandfather had a situation. Uh, his situation was when he was uh, getting older in life, he realized he had Alzheimer's. And I'll never forget finding that out. And I remember him uh, deciding to move to my hometown in Grinnell, Iowa, and leave Ottawa. So honestly, he, a lot of it just had to do with he wanted to leave Ottawa with kind of who he was. And so he, he wanted to help control that situation a little bit. And uh, watching my grandfather, who was a man who could stand in front of groups of people and preach and teach and marry and bury and do all the different things that preachers did back then and still do today, uh, but watching him just deteriorate. You know, watching a man who uh, was as smart as anybody, forget my name, uh, watching a man who could recite messages and sermons and sing hymns, eventually get to the point where he didn't know anybody's name. And then watching that man uh, not be delivered on this earth, but be delivered into the gates of heaven it was a beautiful day. All of us have situations. Some of our situations in this room are the day that we heard in a doctor's office the word cancer. Some of our situations are a marriage that you thought was going to fulfill you, but ultimately it brings you lots of frustration. Some of our situations are we're not sure how we're going to pay this next bill. Some of our situations are praying for rain, praying for sun, praying for rain, praying for sun, praying for dry ground, praying for wet ground. But the truth is it's our situation. Some of our situation is that we deeply desire to find someone. Some of our situation is a child who has gone wayward. Some of our situation is we come in here every week and we're so blessed to be a part of this church, but our situation misses the way it was. Some of our situation is so excited about what it is. But all of us in this room, I want you to know all of us in this room have a situation. Some of our situation is not being able to get pregnant. Some of our situation is not being not able to get pregnant. <laughs> but all of us have a situation. You know, for me, uh, there's been lots of situations in my life that have been overwhelming. 
And there's lots of situations in my life that kind of drag me down. But today I want to talk to you guys about a situation. And, and that situation is a situation that all of us in this room are in. And it's this. All of us are now a part of a country, a part of a world that we are the minority in. We are the minority in a majority culture. That is our situation. That does not mean I don't love our country because I do. I get to preach every single week to over 50% of our congregation are people who are either in the military or just out of the military. I love our country. But to not give a fact that it, within our country that we are the minority as believers in Christ and believers that Bible's God's word is true. We're minorities. And so how do we deal with these situations that God has given us? How do we deal with the situations that are so close to our home about not paying the bills? And how do we deal with the situation of how do we influence this culture God's called us to influence? How do we deal with the situation of when you go into work every day, you've been doing the same thing for the last 20 years and you're staring down the barrel of another 30? And you just think, is this it? Is this what I've been created for? Is this my situation? Well, there's a uh, person that lived a long time ago. His name was Daniel. And Daniel was put into a situation that we're going to talk about today. See, Daniel uh, grew up in Jerusalem or Judea, and he, he grew up in that area in Israel. And when he grew up there, uh, he was educated the best. He was taught the Bible just like lots of us who grew up in Sunday school and were taught different things. And, and he, was, he was kind of first of his class. You with me? And then something happened. His, this nation that he wasn't in control of, he wasn't in control of the nation. He was in control of himself. And this nation eventually turned its way from God, and then God gave Israel into the hands of of the Babylonians, to Nebuchadnezzar. Don't miss that part. Don't think that God's God got conquered. God doesn't get conquered. If God had a hashtag, it would always be winning. I promise you that. Okay? And so God didn't get conquered. God gave Israel into their hands. And this is what happened. Then when Nebuchadnezzar came in, he took all the brightest and the, and the best within culture, and he brought them into his own courts. And when these people were brought into their courts, they were, they were captives in a culture uh, that was honestly much like the culture we're in now. Babylon, described in Isaiah 47, is described this way. It's described as, uh, this was like their phrase. The phrase was, I am, and there's no one else around me. This is what this means. Look out for number one. Sound familiar? Everywhere you turn, whether it's in the workplace, at the gas station, going down the street, you get to a four-way stop, everyone's looking out for themselves. See, this culture that he was brought into, he was not oppressed from the standpoint as he couldn't feed himself. They had plenty. Babylon had plenty. But that doesn't mean he wasn't oppressed. He was brought into this culture, and when Daniel was brought in, there was three other men that are talked about in Scripture, and they were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, these four men were brought into this culture, but there was hundreds of other people from Jerusalem that were brought into this culture. Now, the thing is, is the reason why you don't talk about the other hundred or hundreds or maybe thousands of people is because they didn't stand on their convictions. It was very easy for them to be captured by Babylonians and just bleed into Babylon because Babylon had nice things. But what we see with Daniel right away is he is captured and he's brought into Babylon. The first thing that happens to him is it wasn't all like best. The first thing it is they took his dreams. You know, think about this. Like when you were 14 years old, what did you dream of? You know, for me when I was 14 years old, I dreamed of playing in the NFL. Obviously didn't make it. <laughs> but I dreamed of it. 
I dreamed of it, and because of that, I structured my life based on it. I lifted weights five to six days a week. I ran. I ate tons of food. I did everything I possibly could. I developed all these habits that's left me looking like this today. And so, but I did this for my whole life because I deeply desired to, to, be, to be that good at that sport. But then something happened. God came into my world before my senior year in high school, called me into this thing called preaching, and I gave up my dreams of playing at Iowa. I gave up my dreams of playing at Nebraska. I gave up my dreams of playing at Iowa State or University of Northern Iowa. I gave up those dreams to be a preacher. But I gave up those dreams. Those dreams weren't taken. See, my guess is Daniel dreamed of having a wife, some kids, just being that good Jewish man. You with me? Raising his family right. But you know the first thing they did to Daniel when they took him? They took his manhood. They took it. Literally, they took it. And that dream would never be. They took his name. They took his temple. They took his place of worship. They took his word of God. And he was left in a country of complete foreigners. So how did Daniel change a culture as the minority? How did Daniel, how did God use Daniel to change a situation? The first passage I want to look at in the book of Daniel, we're going to fly through the, not the whole book, but a lot of the book today. And it is, is in Daniel chapter 1. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it, and then I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell more of a story than I'm going to read today, uh, because you guys can read without me here. How about that? It's, it says this, that... Uh, Daniel was captured. He was brought uh, before the king. And as he was brought before the king, uh, Daniel was asked to eat certain kinds of food to make him like to fatten him up, to make him strong. Basically is what happened is. And this is what Daniel says. But Daniel was resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way. See, here's the first thing that we must have within our culture today to change whatever situation you're in. Whether the situation is, the, is cancer, whether the situation is a different kind of sickness, whether the situation is your finances, whether the situation is a rough marriage, whether the situation is something with your children, whether the situation is you have a job that you hate. Listen to me, the first step in resolving this situation is you've got to have a conviction. You've got to have a conviction. See, the conviction that we leave church most Sundays is you have a preacher who gets up here and preaches or you go to Sunday school and you leave with the conviction of I want to love Jesus more. Y'all, that's not a conviction, that's a feeling. See, what God asks of us is that we have convictions. So like a conviction might be, I'm going to have the conviction that I'm always going to give at least 10% of my earnings back to the Lord. That's a conviction because it's real. It's tangible. I remember in my life at one point, I had that conviction. The truth is, that conviction was kind of forced upon me by a father. When I used to mow the grass on my next door neighbor, they'd give me $10. Instead of giving me a $10 bill, they'd give me 10, 10 ones. And I thought, I wonder why they do that. And I thought, oh, my dad told them to. And then the reason was because one of those dollars every single week had to go in the offering plate. So ever since I was a little kid, I was, I was taught to tithe, which I appreciate. But the conviction of your life, when that's a conviction, when you know that's what you're always going to do, that's a conviction. So for me, tithing was one of those convictions. Another conviction to me is I was always going to pay a credit card off at the end of the month. That's a conviction. You can ask my wife. There's been lots of moments in our life that that conviction that I have puts a lot of stress on our world. I remember the day I wrote the check to the church. I had an insurance bill from Lacey having a medical procedure outside of network. And I remember thinking, I'm not sure how this is going to work. 
But guess what God did? He delivered me. But he delivered me because I was strong to my convictions. Some of the convictions that you see in this passage is Daniel realized he was not going to eat food sacrificed to idols. It had nothing to do with wine. It had nothing to do with red meat. Thank the Lord. I love red meat. It didn't have to do with that. It had to do with I'm not going to eat food that's sacrificed to a false god. And so Daniel walked into this culture, and hear me say this, Daniel did lots of things in Babylon he wouldn't have done in Judea. Lots of things. He dressed like a Judean. Not like a Jew. He dressed like a Babylonian. He talked like a Babylonian. He walked the streets like a Babylonian. He helped the king of Babylon. He did everything he possibly could to help that culture move forward as long as it did not do what? Change his convictions. See, Daniel knew when he was offered food that was sacrificed to idols, what was he going to do? He wasn't going to eat it because that was his conviction. So Daniel doesn't do it. He says to, the, to this... Uh, to the, like the hand of the king, hey, I'm not going to, can I please not do this? He's not mean. He's not a jerk. See, being a Christian doesn't absolutely have to mean jerk. Today within culture, really, when you see what, how, do, how do people view Christians in culture, they view us as jerks. The reason is most of us are jerks. We would just rather hold up signs and yell at people versus hold out our hands and love people. That's just who we are. I'm not saying it's good, but it's how we're identified. And Daniel then says to the king, hey, I would like to change this, and is there any way I can not do it this way? And, and, and this person's like, no, 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 Daniel, my life is in jeopardy if I allow you to do it this way. And then what does Daniel say back in the passage? He says, absolutely, he goes, hey, give me 10 days. Allow 10 days for my God to show you with the Daniel diet how I can put on weight. Did you catch that? I think it's pretty funny. We have Daniel diets all over the country to lose weight, but Daniel's diet actually was to put on weight. It's worked for me. Daniel's diet has. It's been a blessing in my life. And so, but you look at this Daniel thing, and so Daniel then, what happens is he eats fruits, and he, all he eats is vegetables, all he has is water, and the Lord miraculously puts weight on his bones. Daniel had a conviction. He had also had a conviction to always tell people the truth. You know, another conviction that we might have is I'm never going to, I'm never going to uh, have a conversation with another woman that I wouldn't first have or only have with my wife. That's a conviction. A conviction is I'm not going to look twice. A conviction is when my wife goes to bed, we go to bed. A conviction is I'm never going to raise my voice. Those are convictions. You with me? I don't know what your conviction should be, but I'm telling you that we need convictions because if we don't have convictions, then our emotions move us. And I promise you it would have been much easier for Daniel to eat the red meat and drink the wine than eat Brussels sprouts. Passage goes on and you see uh, through this life of Daniel, Daniel not only has these convictions, but then Daniel has something that no one else really understands is he understands the presence of God, that God's presence never left Daniel. You with me on that? It said that Daniel prayed three times a day facing Jerusalem. He got three times a day, he would break away from whatever he is doing, and he would pray. Imagine being busy at work and saying, here's my conviction. And on your 15-minute break, instead of sitting with the fellows or sitting with the ladies eating Pop-Tarts and drinking coffee, you go off to a quiet place and you just talk to the Lord. 
Or maybe your conviction is, instead of at night, right before you go to bed, instead of you looking at your phone one last time and putting your phone next to your bed, maybe actually you look at the Word of God. See, what would happen in your life if the last words you read were the Word of God and the first words you read were the Word of God versus what was on your Twitter, your Facebook, or your Instagram? That's a conviction. It's one that I have. See, in this passage of Daniel, Daniel confronts this king, Belshazzar, and when he confronts this one king, this is what happens is he tells the king, how could you worship gods of silver and gold and bronze and wood and plastic? And we think, how could anyone do it? I remember the first time I saw idol worship. I was in India. I remember I was in India, and I walked into this Hindu temple, and I saw all these people worshiping these idols. And there was literally this, like, one idol. It was uh, Lord Sheba was the name of the, the god they were worshiping that week. And as they were worshiping this God, they were bowing down, they were putting all their possessions. There were people who hadn't eaten for weeks. They were fasting and praying, and they were cutting themselves. And they were crying out to this God. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, the whole time I just it was like dark. It felt dark to me. It's the first time I've ever really seen like that type of idol worship. And I remember walking away, and I got into this 15-passenger van in India, and I remember thinking to myself, how could anybody worship plastic? How could anybody get on their knees and dedicate their lives to something that is not alive? How could someone do that? And then instantly I reached into my pocket, I pulled out my phone, and I looked at something. And I realized, what is worship? Worship is what I give my time to. And what do I look at more than the Word of God? I promise you I look at this more. I just want to be honest that we all have idols in this world, and we're worshiping those idols, and don't think that God doesn't care. If we want God to change our situation, we've got to have convictions that lead to change. People that continue to do the same thing over and over again and think that their situation is going to change, listen to me, that ain't how God works. God wants the glory for your change. Why would he change it when you're not living in his glory? You see then, Daniel marched through life and he knew God so well. It's crazy to me. He spent so much time with God, God gave him visions and dreams that still have not happened. Don't you guys desire that? I know you're faithful people. Look at this room. I'm telling you, you guys are an absolute incredible church. I'm not just saying that. 98% of every other church that was in your same situation 20 years ago is almost closing their doors. It's happening all over our country. But because you have sacrificed and stayed faithful to who God is and stayed faithful to reaching the next generation, listen to me, God's blessed your church. And he's going to keep blessing your church. But as we sit in this place and you look at this, this situation and you look at how Daniel lived his life, you have to ask the question, okay, God, what is next for us? How do you change our situation next? How can you change the individual situations in this room? And the way we do it is through his convictions and through his presence. See, Daniel, three times a day, would seek the Lord out. What would it be like to have God whisper in your ear, y'all? Man, there's nothing like knowing what God wants, is there? Imagine that you can open up at any point in time something Daniel didn't have access to, the Word of God. Daniel knew God so well that he knew and he told a king that this kingdom would fall, the gold would fall, that King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom would fall. He knew God so well that not only King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and the Babylonians would fall, but then the Persians would also fall. 
And then after the Persians would fall, the next empire, the great empire, was what? The, Rome, the Greco-Roman Empire. It would fall. And Daniel is telling this king stuff that's never happened, that we can look back on history and see, man, Daniel was right. And then after this Greco-Roman Empire, there's this other empire, and it's the empire that we're a part of right now. And what happens next? A mountain comes through this empire, and the kingdom of God is among us. We are in those days. And you know what the cool thing is? Daniel knew it before we were even born. If you will have convictions and you will be in his presence, God wants to whisper things in your ear. See, God was with you in your darkest moment. And he was with you in your most shining moment. See, God is always with you. He is the Ruah. He goes everywhere. He is with everyone. You cannot escape his presence. When it says you ran from God, keep running, y'all, because he's everywhere. You can run and run and run, but he ain't going anywhere. He is with you. See, he was with you when you walked out of that clinic. He was with you when you logged on to the internet. He was with you when you cheated. He was with you when you succeeded. He was with you when you made the shot. He was with you when you missed the shot. God is with you. He was with you when you proposed. He is with you when you broke that covenant. God is with you. He was with you at the birth of your child. He was with you when you lost that child. God is with you, and he is with you me. And if we will live in our convictions, he will deliver us. Do we recognize we live in his presence? And do we recognize those convictions? Daniel's story ends with a story of him in a lion's den, doesn't it? It's a story that all of us have heard. And Daniel is thrown into this lion's den because he prays. And, and I believe for most of his life, Daniel prayed with the windows closed. I do. Because he was respecting the kingdom. But then the moment that they said, you can't pray anymore, what does he do? Brother opens up the windows. He's like, hmm, take this. You know, the other thing about Daniel, don't forget this. Daniel was brought into that kingdom at 14, and Daniel was in his 70s or 80s when he was thrown into a lion's den. A lot of us in this room sometimes wonder how we'd react to those things. What God asks from us is little steps of faith. He doesn't ask us to jump into the lion's den tomorrow. Lacey made a step of faith today that all of us got to witness. And there's going to be another step tomorrow and another step tomorrow. This king, this is what it says in Daniel chapter 6. I'd like to read this to you because I think it's real re relevant to us today. It says this, So the king gave orders. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. See, the king Darius didn't want to put Daniel in there. Why? Because Darius liked Daniel. You guys, we can't miss this in our culture today. I'm sorry, but I've got to say it. Culture shouldn't hate. People should be like giving high fives if Christians move next door. Because you know why? Because when it snows real bad, you're going to be helping shovel in their walks. You know why? Because when they're gone, you're going to mow their grass. Do you know why? Because when they're sick, you're going to take them to the hospital. Just because we disagree doesn't mean we can't be friends. And you see this in Daniel. This king was directly opposed to everything Daniel was, but this king loved Daniel. Why? Because Daniel served him as long as it didn't intercede with his convictions. Why are we such haters? That doesn't mean we've we got to have our convictions. I've got convictions too. I'm not going to stand before you and marry anyone who God wouldn't marry. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to love those people and serve them and coach their kids in a baseball team. 
The, then the passage goes on to say this. Then it says, they put Daniel in the lion's den. In verse 17, this says this. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. You imagine, you know, there's another time they put a stone in front of a den thinking it was going to hold somebody. Remember that story? <laughs> Stones don't work so well with God, do they? You ever think about that, your situation? Sometimes it feels like you're in a den with a stone in front of it, doesn't it? Can't see out. I want you to hear me say this. Our God is in the business of rolling stones away. He wants to change your situation. And it says this. A stone was brought in place over the mouth of Dan, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring. And with the rings of the nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. We all have situations, remember? Then the king re returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Why? Because he liked Daniel. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in anguish and voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel's like, oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted out of the den... No wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. <clears throat> and then this is the words of a Babylonian king. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Just imagine someday again if our kingdom, if this thing that we're a part of, someone would stand before us and and tout and give glory to God versus glory to self. But the way that our situations change is by understanding our convictions, living in his presence, and recognizing that God is the only one that changes our situation. See, here's the deal, guys. Daniel knew God, and because Daniel knew God, people who know God, the people of God, we do not feast when women and children are starving. See, Daniel knew God, and the people of God, we know that we won't bow down because we would rather lose our life than lose our testimony. See, Daniel knew God, and when the people of God know God, they are not going to stop praying when a foreign government or an opposition or a government of this place tells you you can't pray. Why? Because kingdoms of this world will fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. See, Daniel knew God, and when we know God, what do we recognize? We recognize that you can throw us in a lion's den if you want to, but Daniel, just like us, knows that we have a deliverer who is coming. And that deliverer will rescue you, whether he rescues you in a moment or he rescues you when you walk into the kingdom of heaven. But we will be rescued from this place. And see, there is, all of us have situations, but listen, when you go out this door today and you get into your car with your family, or you get into the car by yourself and you drive home to your situation, listen, God can change your situation. He's in the business of changing situations. He's been changing situations since he put Noah in an ark and had Moses cross the Red Sea. He's the same God that shut the mouths of lions. He's the same God that rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. Our God is in the business of rolling stones away and changing situations. He's the same God that changed our situation when Jesus came into this world wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. He's the same God that went to a cross, died on that cross, taking all of our sin, all of our guilt. Why? To change all of our situations. 
And when he rose from the dead and that stone was rolled away and the glory of God was among us, and in that moment, all of your sin, all of your pain, and death itself was conquered because where, O death, is thy victory and where, O death, is thy sting, death doesn't hold us anymore because you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world and a friend of Christ. You're a joint heir with Jesus and you share in his inheritance. You're the temple, the dwelling place of God, his spirit, sweet girl, and his life, they live inside of you. You're a joint heir with Jesus, and you're going to share in his inheritance. You've been reconciled to God through the power of reconciliation. And listen, one day we are called to be ministers of that same reconciliation. You're a citizen, you're a saint, and the enemy, he wants to destroy your families. He wants to discourage you. He wants you to see your job as a waste versus a calling. He wants you to think that there's actually not a battle for the souls of mankind. But hear me say these words. The enemy, he can't hold us. He can't stop us. Because we are children of the living God. And our God changes situations. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you that there's going to be a moment when the clouds part. I thank you there's going to be a moment that every knee bows. I thank you that in that moment when you come back to rescue us, that we will stand in your presence after we get off of our knees. God, you are good. I pray that no matter what our situation is, we know that you are our deliverer and our deliverer is coming. God, we love you. And I just pray that no matter how overwhelmed we are today, that you bring us a spirit of joy, a spirit of passion, and a spirit that isn't a spirit of a quitter, but one of power, strong mind, and self-discipline. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us back. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.